0: These yellow things.
1: Those are pins. Now say hi, David. Say hi. No. Hi. Yeah.
0: This is Emma, and thanks for listening to
1: Uncle B's podcast. Hey, folks! I just wrapped up our very first guest, a longtime friend and archdiocese of New York priest, Father Michael Keane. Uh, we talked about the role faith plays during the pandemic, and heard an incredible story about God calling him to his vocation. And finished up with James Lipton's favorite, Famous Questions by French television personality Benard Um Really, I hope, hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And uh, thanks for listening. Today's guest has been an Archdiocese of New York Catholic priest for nearly 30 years. He has served the church in a variety of roles, including a high school educator counselor at two prominent Catholic high schools. For the last 18 years, he has been a pastor, currently at Saint uh, Anastasia in Harriman, New York. In 2002, he authored the children's book, What You See in a Catholic Church. Please welcome Father Michael to our program. Thank you, b Honored to be the first guest. Uh, Mike, let's kind of start talking about what we're seeing today is really mystifying. You know, according to New York State, uh, as we're recording on May 5th, 2020, Governor Cuomo, Cuomo announced a total deaths of nearly 25,000 and 320,000 fellow New Yorkers testing positive. In Rockland County, where we are today, New York's smallest county, 12,000 cases, over 500 cases. Orange County, the home of your parish, nearly 10,000 positive cases and 400 deaths. You know, so many people are asking, including myself, you know, where is God during this? Yeah. That's
0: a very valid question. What I found interesting is the timing of when all of this happened, with all the shutdowns, the timing of it was during Holy Week where you focused in as Christians on the suffering of Christ, the suffering. Here we were in a pandemic suffering in so many individual ways, be it physically those who were sick, emotionally those who had bid farewell to loved ones and here the suffering of Christ was the focus of Good Friday. But then you have that movement from the cross on Calvary on Good Friday to that empty tomb resurrection on Sunday, which everybody remains hopeful for. I admit the catchphrase, I hate to say cliche, but it is so true. We are all in this together. And when we pull with one another, when we stay together, when we walk the same path of suffering like Christ did, that we will get there, to, The resurrection, the empty tomb, and the fact that there will be a defeat, I believe confidently, in this disease. That brilliant minds across the world are coming together, as are many different people, helping those who are jobless now, fighting bills and not making it, uh, frontline workers. It's just a great response of positivity in the midst of all the bad news that we get bombarded with daily, of course.
1: Now, how would you explain you know, God's role during this tragedy to folks that really probably don't consider themselves religious.
0: Yeah, I've had I've had good questions by people who aren't religious and I've got a call, in fact, very just today. I just got a call today from a person whose wife is struggling very much with this. Unfortunately she wasn't home when I called to speak with her. But this Sunday in the Catholic Church at least was Good Shepherd Sunday, and the beautiful image of that, which is ancient, goes back to the catacombs of Rome where Christians were buried and the etchings on the walls that archaeologists found. They liked that image because the Good Shepherd literally would take the lamb on his shoulders and carry them. And that's an image that we need. We need to be carried through this you know, with with God, with prayer, and just with other people. So for people who don't believe, they're still doing something that's very good and godly by giving food donations, gift cards, shopping for neighbors, driving to pharmacies. There's a lot of good, godly things that come out of this. And I remember you had Red Skelton one time said, you take the word good, write it on a board, erase the one O, and you got God. So anybody that's doing good, although they might not be believers, I consider it a godly thing.
1: You know, I, I talk about in the introduction podcast, um, your sermon on Good Friday and uh laura kelly fansucci's poem that she said and it's really a set of of where is god and what how we should kind of take that yeah. and go on but you know how is this pandemic what we're going through affected you personally i know we've known a number of people that have died from this yes and professionally okay
0: The saddest part is that I've never spent so much time in the seminary, cemeteries every week, literally every single week. Tomorrow, I have two. Tomorrow I'll be in the seminary for two burials. Uh, I find most of my ministry now is done on the telephone because people can't come in. They're fearful and everybody's got masks and is being super cautious. So I've been picking up the phone myself like I did today, just checking in with older parishioners. But it's the distancing, which we all know we have to do. So I miss the one-on-one contact with people but i like being able to talk to them but the most heartbreaking thing if i was to isolate one particular thing is that at the cemeteries you're distanced from the people and you're only allowed 10 by law so the funeral homes instruct the people you can only have this certain amount of people there when they ask father mike can i videotape their prayers absolutely do whatever you can but the saddest is the one that i have tomorrow a woman who Battled dementia for a number of years. Her husband visited every day and was no longer allowed to do so because she was in a nursing home. So to hear families say, I couldn't be there to hold mom or dad's hand or my husband or wife's hand and speak words into their ears because hearing's the last thing to go, as doctors always say, that's what's heart-rending. Because the greatest fear, and this is documented, of older people is the fear of dying alone. And God bless those nurses who are, have their phones and do FaceTimes with the patients, to say, at least here, here's a relative, and sometimes they'll even get multiple relatives in there, so they can at least hear their voices, even if they're not conscious. But that separation, I think, is probably the most evil and heartbreaking aspect of this disease.
1: So so you've really taken, I mean, obviously, this is your not only your job, not only your vocation, but you're kind of taking it on personally as well, just because you're in those situations, you're in the cemetery as much as you are.
0: Exactly. In fact, the current book I'm reading by Richard Leonard, what a, he's an Australian Jesuit and I've read numerous books of his because I like, he's he's right on. One of uh, well, the first book I read by him was called Where the Hell is God? <laughs> the title intrigued me that there's a priest saying Where the Hell is God? But it's valid because his own sister worked for Mother Teresa. She wasn't a nun and obviously a good person, got hit by a drunk driver, became a quadriplegic and his mother, his family, and he as a priest is struggling. Where the hell is God? This is a good person. Why did this happen? So, everybody, clergy included, you wonder, and we like, where, where the hell is God? Well, we know God walks with us in our suffering, but we wish we had some quick answers, something tangible right away, like a vaccine to get rid of it. But the fact is, we have to go through that Good Friday, which is lasting a lot longer than we would certainly like. So, the current book that I'm reading about him is "What Is It All About," and it's born of a question that someone asked him on an airplane because he had his collar on, and said, "Father, you know I'm a kind of fallen-away Catholic. What really, what is, what, what is it all about?" And I'm reading that right now just for my own little affirmation. When you're in the midst of such suffering as we are together, like, yeah, I just want I want to hear some words myself. It's my own sort of healing and therapy to read a right. book like that.
1: So, what do you think? When this is all said and done, what do you think this pandemic will have on the church? As you know, Cardinal Dolan would say, you know, the big C and little c.
0: Exactly, yeah. The big C, of course, is the Catholic Church, universal, spread throughout the world. And the little c is the parishes, what you're referring to, which are struggling very terribly, obviously, because our bills keep coming in. And unfortunately, there is a business side to the church, of course, it's spiritual in origin. But as it grew and developed we have to follow laws and regulations and there's that business aspect of it. it's like bills and things to pay out and i'm grateful that my parish saint anastasia and harriman is people sending in they're kind enough to send in their donations most of them they're kind enough to send in gift cards for the needy uh, so it's going to have a great impact on the ability of them to function with all of their ministries in the future if they don't have the money to do, do so and the big Catholic Church is the same thing because the money they take in, a lot of it, like Peter's Pence, is the Pope's charities that go out. So sadly, charities and people are going to suffer as well because the main mission of the church, of course, is to do the work of Jesus who reaches out to the poor, the outcast, the marginalized. Do
1: you think we'll see, and you would know better, after Sandy, after nine eleven. do you think we'll see a... Inclining people going back to church, or you know, kind of like you know, we couldn't find God during this, or people losing their faith more rather than gaining their faith.
0: Yeah, I think people's faith will be challenged, but I think that as the time goes on, there's a desperation that what is this doing? I know that people in the comments I'm getting and the emails I'm getting are people definitely who are churchgoers can't wait to get back. And other ones have told me that their relatives who were on the fringes, on the lines, or had fallen away Are saying, oh, well, I am watching the mask now because I want to hear some explanations. I try and gear my homilies all around the pandemic to face current reality. And I think and I hope and pray that like 9-11, people will come back and say, listen, life is so fragile. You can be here today, gone tomorrow and question like I am now through that book. What is it all about? Ask yourself what that is. What are your main goals in life. We all know we're being people losing money left and right, but they're gaining other things as well by doing Skyping, uh, WhatsApping, videoing, FaceTime, because they realize the need for other people. and That's what church is, gathering as a community. So Hopefully they'll feel like, I need a community. I need something. I don't want to be alone.
1: Now you, I wouldn't say, knowing you my entire life, that you are not the most tech-savvy person. (laughs) But you have you along a lot of people have started using social media tools to reach out to not only friends and family but your, really your church. Yeah, you know you know having done, having done those the Facebook live every Sunday for the last month now. Yeah, or? it's been since uh Palm Sunday. Now, what, what what do you think that the technology that's being used now? In the future will look like in regards to missionary work. Is this something you think that churches will keep on doing? That that you know the cardinals and the and the popes will say, "Well, this is really good. We did the, we this we we were forced to do this, yeah. and it worked." What do you, what role do you think that will play in the future? Because I think it's really interactive, and you can see by the the comments and people that post on your page yeah. during mass, and a lot of them do real-time amens and, and say yeah, the prayers right. with you. Yeah, that's right. We would hear our prayer, yeah. What do, you, what, do you think that's, what do you think the role of that going forward will be?
0: This is an aside to the audience, B-Mart here is my main man when it comes to <laughs> helping me in my technology-challenged life. He sets up my phone and everything else like that, so I'm very appreciative to him. But to direct the question, answer it rather, is that for myself i I did have to learn a lot and i did thank god you know i you you in fact were there we ordered it for me the amazon tripod for the uh to the camera so we could do mass but i also noticed and i'm going to do this myself now since i'm posting a lot more on facebook now that i feel more comfortable a priest friend of mine from the archdiocese of philadelphia who was in school work like i was for years and had my nieces and my nephews in in school they all loved him he did something very relevant now considering what we're going through. He did, interestingly titled, There Were Ten Plagues, the plagues on the Egyptians with Moses leading the chosen people to the promised land. The ten plagues that find the Pharaoh relented after the death of the firstborn males. Like, go, get him out of here. Get out of here. He's doing, on his posts, ten plagues in ten minutes at ten o'clock. So every day, just for ten minutes, he'll take one of the plagues and at ten a.m. he puts it on. So that gave me an idea that I could do something on scripture, uh, one of the books of the Gospels, or just a topic or a theme, and now that I'm more comfortable, take the phone, record it, and then just put it on our website. Which I've been using a lot more, thank God. Our Facebook page, I should say. I use the website too, but Facebook is our go to now as far as the masses go. So I feel more comfortable, thank God. I know other priests have. So it's forced us in a good way to learn, to become more tech savvy, and to be in communicado with our parishioners on a more regular basis.
1: You know, that follows up on the, the, this question is, you know, what have you learned, obviously that, about yourself and more importantly, others during this time?
0: Yeah. Well, the example, is like I said, I need, it makes me realize how much I need other people. Like, you're an example. Like I just said, I need, I need Brendan. Hey, Brendan, what, what can I do with this? Hey, yeah, okay, you take my phone, you take my uh, iPad, whatever, whatever it is, and you You show me how to do it. It's like, okay. So people need one another. And so much good is being done. Sadly, we're bombarded with bad news, but there's also a good news app you can sign up for where all it does is report good news. So you don't have to always hear about deaths and that. But I think it's going to realize that, yes, we do need one another. And there's little bickering and, and taking things for granted. Hopefully people realize that we've put posts up about that. Like this time of year, just the ability to look around more when you're inside. And I, I found myself for the first time in the longest time staring at a Robin Redbest because it was right outside my window. Just, just looking at it so lovingly, a bird, which are all around that I never paid attention to. So to get focused in on, wow, this is a gift. This is something I should be grateful for. And so many of the other people that I see doing good inspire me to continue to want to do good as well. What,
1: is there any certain scripture that you have turned to or recommended to others to kind of ease their own anxiety, your anxiety during the, this pandemic?
0: There's a couple of them. Uh, one of them is actually this coming Sunday when Jesus on the night before his death says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Have faith in God and faith in me. Well. We're obviously all troubled right now. So if you can manage to place your faith in God that Jesus, for his beating, torture, and crucifixion, manages to say these words to give him comfort, that's good. The other one is to, you know, I will be with you. Take my yoke upon me. My burden is light. I will be walking with you. So I find the fact that Jesus has promised his last words, his last words in the Gospel of Matthew 28, chapter 28, verse 20, I and no, I am with you always till the end of the world. So that's a great thing to know that you're not alone, even if you're physically alone. Spiritually, you're never alone either. But that's, I find, very comforting. But interesting that you asked that question because one of them's happening this coming Sunday on the fifth Sunday of Easter.
1: Now, let's like turn to you. Uh, You've been a priest for nearly 30 years, you've been my parents' best friend for over 40. Yeah, almost 50. <laughs> including uh, my family. My father staying at this very house after his first date with my mother. Um, That's
0: right. And, oh, my gosh. At, yep.
1: Now, if anybody that knew you in high school would be shocked to say it lightly, to know <laughs> that you are and you would become a priest. Right. Now, how would you describe yourself in high school?
0: Well... What I we just had, as you know, because your mom was part of it very much. So we had our 40th anniversary reunion from North rockin High School on uh, in October, and they asked me to offer a prayer. So when I got up, the first thing that I said to all those gathered was, "All those categories in your books, you know, the nicest hair, most likely to succeed, most popular." I said, "If there was a category, you know." Most likely to become a Catholic priest, I said, I would have been at the bottom of the barrel there. No question about it. Which they laughed, of course, because I shocked a lot of people when I announced that was. I mean, in high school, I I, I did play sports. I played lacrosse, played football. But I was a rock and roll drummer, too, with a head of hair that was incredibly mopped and big, gigantic afro that I had. So it even shocked my own parents when it came out like that. But uh, I always did, though. I mean, I went to Catholic grade school went to public high school so that I could play football because they didn't have it at Albertus Magnus here in Rockland County at the time. Now they do. Uh, But my family's example was always there. Like, you know, you're living in this house, you're coming to church on Sunday. So I guess by them planting the seed, there was always something there. Uh, But when I went to college and I could sleep in a little later because we had a rock and roll band job the night before, I would do that. I did. I was kind of like, not that I was going away from the faith or belief, but it was just like I wasn't practicing. It's like, ah, church, I'm too tired, Did this, 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 this. So I guess with the seed there, and it took my first year at Manhattan College where I was in the school of business, that's when the vocation was born with an encounter with a homeless man on 242nd Street Yeah, so I want to talk about
1: that a little bit, is, you know, when did you really first, when did you first kind of had this encounter, and what was going through your mind, and kind of what was that process look, you know, like? I know that... um, John fifteen sixteen. it was I Who Chosen Chose You. Yes, yeah, uh, oh. Who a, is a big, a big scripture. It's a big part you. of my life, yeah. So kind of we'll talk about that and kind of your, your transition from kind of that rock and roll drummer to finding, you know, this calling, this vocation. Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny because it's exactly...
1: It was a night of rock
0: and roll drumming. We had finished playing. We put all our equipment away in this room that they let us practice in at Manhattan College. And then we would all go out. In Manhattan College, people used to hang out at the Terminal Bar. You know, it's the different local hangouts. And the Terminal's on 242nd and Broadway. So it was obviously late because the job probably finished around midnight. We were on our way down to the Terminal. And as we were going down to there, there was a homeless man sitting up against a building. But I could see him because there happened to be a light. Right above him. So he was very illuminated. And he kind of looked like Santa Claus. He had his white beard, a straggly guy. I mean, it really, you know, like anybody's grandfather really. But obviously he's homeless. He's, he's God knows what his story was. But the only asked for it was a quarter. And you're always taught, I just ignore them. Don't pay any attention and just move on. But I mean, the guy's face, it just looked like how can I say no to Santa Claus? This grandfatherly figure. I gave the guy a quarter, and you would think I wrote him a check for a million dollars because he was like, "Thank you, God bless you." Everybody thinks I'm gonna drink this away. I just want to get uh, something to eat at Sun Wah. I still remember the name. There's a Chinese restaurant at the time, right, around, right there on Two Forty Second and Broadway, next to the terminal. And then, as he stood up to try and like thank him, I'm like, "No, no, you don't have to do that. Take care." You know. And he stayed there, and I couldn't get his image of his face out of my mind after that because being in the school of business. All I was thinking about was how much money can I make and what kind of material possessions do I want to accumulate? And it contradicted the gratitude that this homeless man had for just getting a measly 25 cents. So it caused me to actually problems in the family because I stopped going to some of the business classes. I, all of a sudden, I just like lost the interest completely because he was like the guy put a mirror out to my face and I didn't like what I saw. I just, it was just like... Greed, materialism, uh, all about you, ego. And I was like, whoa, is that, is that what really your goals in life are about? Is it all about accumulation? I said, nah, there's stuff out. There's people like this out there. And, but it was a long process. It wasn't like, go to the precinct. No. Dropped out, got a job doing security from midnight to 8 in the morning. This way no one would bother me. I could just be there by myself and reflect and see what was going on. And then gradually the thoughts started entering my mind. What jobs help people? Social work. There's so many different venues you can go. Because obviously I wanted a family myself. I wanted a family. A a great family experience with my own family. I wanted to have my own kids. And when priesthood kind of popped up as an option, I would just say, no, I wouldn't do that. But it kept popping up to the point where it became this itch that you had to scratch. So I began to just... Without my family even knowing it, just looking at different religious orders. And I always had an attraction to St. Francis of Assisi. In fact, my mother took out something I didn't even remember. It was, uh, your dad was in class with me. In fact, we had to paint a picture or color a picture of a saint with magic marker. And I picked, it was St. Francis of Assisi from sixth grade. My mother took it out one day, big poster. I went, oh my gosh. So I entered the Franciscans where you do take vows of poverty. Now, this opinions. is well
1: before, obviously, internet. Like, how did, what, yeah. was, what did you, what was that, to do that process, what did you kind of, what, what did you have to go do to research these different orders now, and to have a better understanding? There
0: was a book, actually, and I got some stuff from the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus have a lot of pamphlets, and one of the pamphlets was on religious life, because I didn't know where that was either, really. I was, at that point, I had eight years of Catholic school, and it kind of goes out of your mind after my, your high school years, so I had a lot to learn again, and those pamphlets I used to bring to work. I read the pamphlets, get reacquainted with you know with the church, the sacraments, this, that, and learn more about religious orders. And so it was gradually that night reading that occurred during that security job that allowed me to say, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna contact the Franciscans. And I contacted a few, and the letter that came back, I could tell this guy who was a vocation director, I liked his humor in it. He was funny in the letter of response. Come, please come visit us. And I go, I just like the vibe of this letter. So that's when I went and checked the Conventual Franciscans. They were in Rensselaer, New York at the time. I decided to join them. So
1: how long were you up there for?
0: I was with the Franciscans for seven years uh, where I did a division in Staten Island. My pre novitiate I did in uh, Holyoke, Massachusetts. Uh, i graduated from st hyacinth college seminary in granby massachusetts then i went up to rensselaer which is the graduate school where you get your master's of divinity degree in theology and they closed after the first year sadly so instead of heading south where they were going that's when i made the transition to the archdiocese of new york i said you know i really don't want to be that far from family and it was a difficult decision but saint francis still remains an important part is like your favorite saints But it was just, that it was a hard decision because it's like a spiritual family that you're leaving. But they came back, and right here at St. Greg's, the singing fires as they were called, and I was in them as a drummer, uh, they played at my first mass. And my novice director, who's Franciscan, preached a homily at my first mass. And I still continue to be Facebook friends with a number of uh, the guys from the good old days, 1980s, in uh, St. Hyacinth, and Monsolier.
1: Now, what are you most proud of as... Being a priest.
0: The ability, it's almost like being Santa Claus through others' generosity. I'm proud of when you ask people, like what we're doing now, there's someone in need. When people give me this, this money, they cut, some of them Some of them are enormous checks, actually. I'm, I'm shocked at what they are. I mean, because you know, Orange County is not a rich, rich county, obviously. Uh, but there's very generous people, and we have a special fund. And the ability to be provided, to see their faces, they come in... Very humbled, very embarrassed. A lot of them, yeah, you know, like because they're not making payments, and it's it's embarrassing to ask for money for a lot of people. Especially, if you got kids; you want to be the you know, the provider of the family. But the ability to be able to take care of the poorest of the poor, who Jesus always saw it out. And like I said, I got the Santa Claus role. I mean, i, I of course, I got some of my own money is invested in that particular fund too. But to give it out to see the faces, and then I like to tell people in church. By the way, you know. When it's appropriate oh we were able to do this everybody and you should have seen their faces uh, I'm grateful they are so keep up the generosity and caring for other people which again i try and get everybody to focus in on now look at the good look at the beauty in the midst of this pain
1: what do you fear personally and professionally personally
0: uh With this social distancing, with the future that many people are speculating on, like something I read the other day, will there ever be handshakes again? Will there be embraces and hugs and kisses when you greeted people, which was a normal response to loved ones and even people you grew up with? Is it going to keep us physically distant? That's something that that, that scares me uh, personally. And then professionally, also, not being able to see the people, I mean, I'm grateful for the technology, that we have the Facebook page mass every Sunday at 10, but everybody, the comments you may have noticed, I just can't wait to get back and see my, my friends again, my people. And just today, in fact, I was just in my driveway, uh, cleaning off my car, and a prisoner pulled up with her mask, kept, kept the distance, and I said, you know, tomorrow's um, I'm burying Larry, Larry Dwyer, and she just broke into tears. She goes, I didn't know. I said, well, he was in a nursing home, too, and sadly, his family couldn't go there, so these are people that know each other and, 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 and are missing each other and they're profoundly sad. And I just hope that we are able to gather. I know there's going to be things that are changed, but that we can come together without a fear and a paranoia of every single sneeze, cough, touch right. at one point.
1: Who do you admire and what, what, what do they, what qualities do they have that you share with them?
0: Let's see interestingly i always used to read this was growing up too in grade school i always used to write reports when i could i'd even draw pictures of abraham lincoln believe it or not lincoln was always my favorite president as far as that and his ability to pull people together i mean a you know, horrible time in our nation's history you know the civil war and lincoln did so much and we're still talking about him and there's still documentaries being made on him. i mean he's just someone that's incredible so his ability to take Different poles, the north, the south, and you know, and to, to try and get this all worked out as the leader. What a daunting, daunting task. So, he he ranks up there as some, some on the secular level. Uh, Francis of Assisi, we mentioned it. I, I deeply admired him. That's why I went into the Franciscan and continued to read a lot of Franciscan authors. Uh, Father Richard Rohr. I get daily uh, reflections sent to me every day from him and his Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, So Francis of Assisi, simply because he always reached out to the least desirable, he always had compassion, and he also loved the earth. Here I am talking about Robin Redbreast and spring going all around us. His uh, brother, son, sister, Moon, writing is one of the beautiful pieces of poetry ever, talking all about God's nature. So he, I admire simply because of his ability to always appreciate and give gratitude for the gifts that surround us and the beauty of God's creation.
1: You've mentioned Lincoln, but you know who else has kind of who and what has most influenced your political and kind of moral compass?
0: Let's see. That's a good question. The political and moral compass. Um, Outside of Lincoln, I never really, you know, the presidents, you know, when you, many presidents never, you know, I never sought out any moral guidance from them. I mean, they appreciate right. you, anything that's good, good, that's done by any Democrat or Republican. That's why I can't stand all the infighting that we have where just because someone's Democrat or just because someone's the Republican, you just can't stand right. everybody else. That's that's so divisive. It's it's, it's hard. But you got to appreciate the good in every single person. And, 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 and so many presidents have done. Uh, have done that. They've, they've, they're out for the good. They're, of course, the good of the country, the good of us. So, but my moral compass is more, uh, rather than political. Of course, it's it's scripture. All of my reading every day in uh, the, the numerous ref, uh, reflection books that I have on the daily readings that we were used at mass. Uh, of course, is to walk in the footsteps of Christ, like like Saint Francis did, and all the saints and everybody else who gone before him. You
1: know, let's you know moving f- forward. Where do you see the church in 10 years?
0: I think it is going to be a different church in 10 years, uh, especially with going through this. Uh, First of all, sadly, uh, we're getting the reports of the the amount of priests and nuns that have died and male religious Mary Knoll right across the river from us here in Rockland, where we're currently speaking right now, has had a massive loss uh, due to COVID-19, unfortunately. So with the dwindling of of clergy members and more burden placed upon them because the least you are, this same amount of Catholics, so you find yourself giving and giving until you have the fear of burnout that I know, for example, they've, they've brought up once again looking at women deacons. And then it was shelved for a while and it just was put back on the table, I read. Phyllis Zagano is someone that Pope Francis had on the team. She's an expert in this, basically, uh, and she's Brought it back on the table, resurfaced, done more research. Where we're going to need more and more people working as clergy as well. And you know, so if you get a female deacons, who just like we have male deacons now, who are able to perform uh, certain sacraments, to be able to counsel, visit, I think that's going to be a, a, an open door.
1: What do you think? Going back to kind of what we started with, what do you think the difference is between a religious person? in a spiritual person. Oh, yeah.
0: a Religion Religion literally means to be tied into. That's what it means, to be tied into, to be, connect, to be connected with something. So someone who is religious, they, they'll have a certain pattern of behavior. They're tied into, like, saying the rosary. I'm tied into going to mass. I'm tied into, I always do the divine chaplet at 3 o'clock every day, ever since Sister and now canonized by Pope St. John Paul II, uh, Fastina Kowalska, you're tied into certain behaviors and prayers on a regular basis. Spiritual people are people who, and religious people are spiritual as well. But people will say, well, I might be not be tied into a community, but I do take time for you know to, to meditate, to pray, to practice mindfulness. Is a word that's actually been used in the church from the early church fathers. I mean, contemplation and meditation is basically a type of mindfulness. Uh, So that's basically it. Spiritual people still believing in something greater than themselves and finding comfort and solace in meditating or going into their core inner being and knowing that there is something greater and that God does dwell in me and I want to connect to that and then bring that out to my behaviors with whatever my job is, with the way I treat my
1: neighbors, etc. If if you were to give your last homily, homily or reflection about the way to live a life, know and make a contribution what would you say
0: a last homily that's a good question A last what would your last homily be um it's funny you mentioned because the first thing that came to mind was the scripture passage i was just talking about where jesus before he died literally the night before saying don't be troubled i mean john himself says you know Perfect love casts out fear. So you can't have fear. So don't be troubled. Let it go. And we need to hear that now, especially because there are a lot of legitimate uh, concerns with fear and anxiety and mental wellness with people. So I would say my last homily would be to appreciate the people in your life, most of all, because that's the most important thing. Appreciate the people in your life. Say it to them. That's the main thing. I mean, people take, you know, Take it for granted. You lot they're always there, there to say the words like I always do when I when I'm parting from visiting dad or sister's dad. Always say I love you, you know. So which basically Jesus did, and he says I no longer call you sir. You are my friends. You're my friends. He wanted to realize well how deep and committed loving relationship they had. So to leave behind a message that stay connected, appreciate the people, love the people, tell them you do so, and. I don't think you'd have any regrets in leaving life. Our last
1: couple questions, I'm going to borrow from James Lipson, who we passed passed last year, who originated by the French television personality Bernard Pivot, (laughs) a number of the Proust Questionnaires, a set of questions that he answered by the French writer Marcel Proust and has been used by many Uh. modern interviews. So, what is your favorite word?
0: My favorite word... People have actually said it to me because they noticed that I preach a lot on it. One of my favorite words, I guess, would be hope. In fact, I have a painting a friend just recently gave me, and the painting is called Hope. And it's just such a word filled with positivity that you're always looking... that Yes, hope is there, which means you're optimistic. So... Hope And that, and I didn't realize it myself. And I would put on the coattails of that, the word joy. Someone asked me to write a book. You mentioned I wrote a children's book a number of years ago, but I have a friend who works for Paulus Prest, and um, she's an editor. And she asked me to write a uh, a book on joy, because joy is such a great word in the scriptures as well. Joy means, you know, you're, you're happy, you're grateful. And she said, because you're writing a word on it, because she picked up a theme in my homilies that you say the word joy a lot. So Hope because of optimism, joy because you can live it in the moment. You can have moments of joy. Which is different than happiness. Happiness is contingent upon things. Like I'm happy with my health as well. I'm happy when my bank account is full. But joy comes from within. And no one can take that away because it's inside of you.
1: What is your least favorite word?
0: Uh, probably division. Only because of what's been going on in the few years, you know, division. You know, the fact that people are are divided. I mean, hatred is a strong word, which none of us likes. That's why I didn't pick that one. But uh, division and separation for for ridiculous reasons, you know, where people instead of and I and I try and get this into a lot of homilies too. Why don't we focus on that which unites us rather than that which divides us? Because if you did that, you've got more common ground to engage in dialogue, discussions, and do things together. So I guess that's that's that that's that word. Don't like that word division at all. What excites you? What excites me is the, the, the right the, the direct question is what turns you <laughs> on. I don't think that <laughs> would be necessarily appropriate. <laughs> That's funny. What excites me is uh, the uh, the fact that each day uh, I don't know what day lies ahead, but I but I can I can have an encounter with someone where uh, you can help someone. You can actually. Change a person's outlook, change a person's life, and sometimes I'll get thank you cards for that. Which you, you know, realize you that you're like, I'm just doing my job. This is what I do, but it excites me to know that wow, I get, I'm getting a thank you card from someone. We had a, we only did was have a discussion, but to say thank you, for, like for this, for this, this. So it excites me the ability to meet with people, talk to them, and to have an impact on them in some way where they actually take the time out to do a handwritten note to say I like the meeting. So I find that exciting because I don't think it's deserved. I mean that you know. I'm not expecting thank you notes, but to touch people's lives. So it excites me that each day it brings me another opportunity to encounter another person. I don't know what it'll be, but it could actually be life-changing.
1: What turns you
0: off? Turns me off is uh, the constant negativity of, of news. I mean, I know that's, 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 that's part of media, but it's uh, all the time. Uh, people who complain, complainers or... Uh, the don't look at the bright side that don't appreciate i mean i often sometimes in reconciliation and the sacrament, will tell people i'll give them as a penance to uh just thank make a list of things that you're grateful for and i tell them some things and i only read this in a book from a nun that i mean you wouldn't even put this on things you're grateful for but she had experience in a third world country where she said i thank god for screens like screens on doors i was like what the heck what do you mean well I lived in a country where all these bugs would come in and they're all on people. you if the kids' faces and flies. I'm like, gosh, okay. I have something I take for granted. Running water. I mean, I wash my face every day like you. I'm washing my hands constantly like everybody else these days. Where you have people in Africa who have to go miles for wells. So just to be grateful for those things. Make a list of refrigerator, All the things that we do. We flip a light switch on. It's amazing the things that we learn to take for granted. But... Look at a place like Haiti and say, wow, I couldn't live there for a day. I mean, and how do they do it? And then it'll definitely flip your perspective.
1: What sound or noise do you love?
0: Uh, I love the sound of music. One of the things that I um, I do when I'm alone, in my living, sometimes in my living room, I go downstairs, that's where I have my little Bose thing like that. I like, um, I'll put on handles, water music or uh, just the sound of, I know I'm a rock and roll drummer, it seems so contradictory, but I have that classical side of me where I find a lot of peace of just sitting there in my living room or downstairs by myself and hearing some of that war music, the beautiful classical kind of stuff. So that sound of, of, of classical music, actually, like, I enjoy very much.
1: What noise or sound do you hate?
0: Screaming. Whether it be screaming in anger I mean that—that's that, that. Just incites you. Screaming in pain breaks your heart. I've heard that visiting people in the hospital. So any sort of scream is a. Uh, either way, you know whether it's in anger or it's in pain because both of them I know are not good. So any any sort of screaming.
1: What is your favorite curse word? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's see. Uh, my favorite curse, you know. It's actually, it's, some people might consider it a curse word or it's taking God's name in vain, but if you separate it, like some people used to say years ago, the Irish especially, oh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And people would say, you can't say that. they say, well, I'm just referring to the Holy Family. You know, it's <laughs> the, yeah, that's, that's the way they'd get around it. But if you think about it, if you say like, God damned it, which means God, damn it, stop it. So you can get, <laughs> it's, a, it's a curse word, I guess. Not that I go around saying God damn it all the time, but you could actually take that and with something like the, the virus right now the pandemic well i would say god damn it which means god stop it put up a dam so it stops flowing and taking people's lives so
1: interesting question though for a priest god what, damn it what profession other than yours would you like to attend
0: uh, i would say either when i was a when i was a child again around the same time I remember being in your dad's class too, interestingly. I wanted to be a scientist because we had to lay on a huge piece of paper. We traced ourselves. In fact, I think, no, someone traced us. In fact, I think, and I'm just i to be accurate with this. I think your dad, because this was my friend, my best friend in fourth grade, I think he actually traced me. And then once I had my body traced, I put on a science lab. And it was something you wanted to be. And I probably traced your father. I got interested to see if he remembers what he was, but I had an interest in science, and I used to have microscopes like I used to get for Christmas, so I, I was more science-oriented, which was interesting back then, and I, I wouldn't, if, uh, with, with what doctors do, I find fascinating, so, I mean, science, I don't know what how science would evolve, but I think something in the scientific slash medical field. What profession would you not like to do? What I'd not like to do, oh... Let's see. I would not like to do what my grandfather did. I mean, uh, my grandfather in Scotland, uh, who was Irish, but he moved in Scotland, and some of my uncles, only they were all coal miners. And my grandfather thankfully survived a very horrific coal mine collapse in uh, High Valley Field, Scotland, years ago, where they have a big monument, at shrine for it. So many had died. In fact, he was laid in the pile of those who were deceased, and when the family went, they saw his left eye twitch. And they said, He's not dead. And they brought him out because it was, its first of all, you're going down into the darkness of the earth. You're breathing in black lung. I mean, the things that happen. So God bless anyone who was a mind to go down that deep. That's something I would, I would not
1: like to do. Absolutely. And I think almost a very perfect question, our final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the, the pearly gates?
0: I would say, it's actually, in, it's in the funeral book, which was, uh, which was uh, we we'll pray, and sadly I'll be praying twice tomorrow, but, uh, well done, good and faithful servants, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you for the foundation of the world. That's actually in the burial rites, because I think we'd all like to hear that, you know, a so welcome, well done, good and faithful servant.
1: Well, thank you, Michael, that was fantastic. Um... Thank
0: you, B-Mart, I'm the first one on Babylon with B-Mart.